Open up to Acts chapter 9. Before we move on, I'm not sure how many people know that Lucille, our dear sister, has been in the hospital. And uh, we were able to get her into uh, the Norwegian uh, Christian home, which was the family loved it, a great place. But she had to go back to the hospital with some complications. So we're going to ask God now, we'll intercede for it, that God will just touch this woman's life. You know, she's deeply loved by her family and by us. Uh, in her own words, she's ready to go see the Lord. But we're going to ask God's will, of course, uh, and, and to bless her. So let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you for the sister, the dear sister you allowed uh, to be part of this flock, Father God, that has touched our lives in such a silent way. Silent but deep, Father God. And after raising, I believe it's 13 children, Father, of her own. You know, she came to faith when she was over 60 years old, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for rescuing her, Father God, out of the clutches of Catholicism and religion, Father God, at such an older age, Lord God, and bring her into the truth and set her free, Father God, which she loves the truth. Your daughter loves the truth, Father. And it set her free, Father God. So we're going to ask God, if it's in your will, if it's in your mercy, would you restore her yes. to her health? Restore it to a family. Restore it to us, Father God. It would be a great, great blessing, God. But we cannot argue with a saint that says, I'm ready to meet my Lord. Dare us not get in the way of that, Father. Continue to be kind to Lucille, Father God. We love her. We want you to know we genuinely love her, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 9. When I get there, I will let you know. I'm there. Starting in verse 31. We'll take a second, see if we can get that up there. I'll read the verse thir- uh, 43. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, He came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Adorcus. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was, was near Joppa, and the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to, ur- sent men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he had arrived... They took him up to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. 
And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Let's pray. Father, as we continue in your book of Acts, Father God, that shows us the early work of your spirit through your apostles in the early church, Father God, and the magnificent work you did starting in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outer edges of the world, God. And if Acts was still being written, it would say, and Brian Martin got saved on May 21st, 1990. And it would say, Kimmy got saved, and John Verdi got saved, and and, and Richie got saved. You know all our names, Father God, because the book of Acts is still going on. We're here, Father God. The work of the Spirit of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation is still being heard. And you are still saving sinners. And you are still raising people up from their sickbed. You are still giving us spiritual resurrections, God. You are still taking those who are dead in sin and transgression and making them alive, Father God, and co-heirs with Christ, Father God. You are still walking amongst your church, comforting your church and strengthening your church. And your church is still multiplying, Father God. And for this we say, hallelujah. Thank you that we're part of this great work, Father God. Thank you that we, here today, as we worship you in spirit and truth, Father God, is an extension of these churches that we just read about. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, we can forget, as we read Acts, that, you know, we got these sort of loose stories, it looks like, but they're not loose, unaffiliated stories. They're there for a purpose. They're handpicked by the Luke, the historian, to reveal something to us about our faith, about the work of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit, and uh, how it started in Jerusalem and went to, to Samaria and Judea and to the outer parts of the Roman Empire, and why we're here today, because the work of God is, hasn't stopped, has it? And he still wants his saints to walk amongst one another, comforting one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, edifying one another, and uh, so we continue to fight the fight, and that's what we do today. You know, and when I come to church, I want to encourage everybody here at church. I want to show up with meaning every time I go to church. I want to show up with meaning. I want to show up. I want my heart to turn the noise off, my mind to turn the noise off, and to realize I'm going to worship God. I have to turn the noise of my life and everything that's going on about me, which I can somehow consider more important than the Lord. Sound familiar? And God is gracious to us all the time. I know he's gracious to me every time that I come here. I'm like, praise God. Praise God. I I give him this. It's a sacrifice unto the Lord to give him this worship unto him. As we went through chapter 9 of uh, Acts probably about three months, we saw Paul's conversion in his early ministry in in verses 1 to 31. Now we see Peter's ministry, but it's not like the ministry Peter had before. Peter owned Acts all the way up into chapter 12, going into chapter 13 where Paul takes over. But we have this this little interlude over here where Paul's conversion and, and Paul's early ministry in Damascus, a little bit in Jerusalem, we get back into Peter. But Peter's ministry now... Is, is, is taking a different turn. He's not preaching in Jerusalem anymore. He's not preaching in his hometown. He's going out. Just like the Lord told him. From now on, the book of Acts, we're getting further and further from Jerusalem. And we're going out into the, 
the whole Roman Empire. Of course, Jerusalem's still part of the book of Acts, but it's really taken a new turn now. And now Peter, under the, the cloak of peace, as verse 31 says, he begins to travel for the sake of building up the saints who had believed in other areas. It's on this tour that we encounter these two short stories, the extraordinary ministry of Paul, of Peter by the healing of uh, Aeneas and the raising of Dorcas from the dead. So Luke is constructing everything for one purpose, because this is what he wants to say. Wherever the gospel went, many turned to the Lord. Or many were converted and turned to the Lord. Both stories end with that. And that's to show us the spread of the gospel. But we do have these two extraordinary ministry stories going on over here. And if there was a sub-theme, it would be you never know when God's going to use you. I want to encourage everybody here. I want you to take this out of here today. You never know when God is going to use you. If you knew that and believed that, please tell me, Would your life be as boring as we think it is sometimes? If you knew that you never knew, if you knew it, and you said, maybe today's the day that God's going to use me to raise someone up from the spiritual dead. How would that make your day feel? If you can leave the house every day knowing that truth, because it's a truth, that you never know when God's going to use you. That's why I titled the message, All in a Day's Work. We're going to look, Peter says, All in a Day's Work. He's going out from town to town. He's strengthening the saints. That's what he was supposed to do. Hot and dusty days. Miracles won't happen all the time. He had to get up. He had to go to work. And this is what he did. And one day he goes to a place. A man's laying there for eight years, paralyzed. And something wonderful happens. We can get caught up in a trap of thinking every time you read the New Testament, all these fantastic, extraordinary miracles were taking place at the snap of their fingers, and everywhere they went, people were being healed and jumping out in the cemetery, and oh, there was a big party going on. Some people make it sound like that, but that's not what was happening. Yes, there was condensed miracles at times. Many took place in a short period of time. But on a whole, it was just another day's work of hard work, of going out and sharing Christ. And at times, God did extraordinary things. The text uh, uh, implies this as we go through it. Yesterday, I want to give a couple examples before I go into the text. Uh, Finished writing my sermon out yesterday, and what I like to do when I have the time is... Go hit some balls, do some putting, think about the sermon, read about it. But, you know, notice it was pouring out yesterday. But I still went. I was the only guy there. Except for another knucklehead who opened up the place. (laughs) But this knucklehead, who's my friend, who three weeks ago I said, you know something, I'd like to sit down with you and share the gospel with you one day. And he said, Brian, I'd like that. I forgot all about that. Until I was there, putting and chipping in the rain, soaking wet. And I said, I'll go for a hot cup of coffee. And I got a hot cup of coffee. Totally forgot about it. The next day, I'm sitting in this guy's office. And I remembered. I told this guy I wanted to share the gospel with him. There's nobody around. Nobody was going to interrupt us. And there we got to speak about Christ for about a half an hour. You know, and, and a seed was genuinely planted. It was a genuine time. I've witnessed to many people over many different scenarios over the years. 
This person really heard. He was genuinely inquiring about the faith and genuinely inquiring why I believed. And what does Peter teach us? Be ready in and out of season to give an account of your faith. And I had that opportunity yesterday. I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't thinking about it. But it was all in a day's work. You never know when God's going to use you. It wasn't too long ago that I was out playing golf and there was a friend of mine, I haven't seen him in many years, Brother Donald, who's here now, he's not here today, but he said. And I just shared with him my testimony of what God has done in my life over, you know, 20 something years, me and my wife. Terry went to school with him also. And on the eve when he had to get his leg amputated, he simply called out on the name of Jesus. And the peace of God in his own testimony that transforms all understanding filled him. And he's been walking with the Lord ever since. You never know when God's going to use your testimony. You never have any idea. I think of John Verdi. Pastor John. I think of our sister Mary. Devout to the Lord. Moving in the joy of the Holy Spirit. John was moved out of one place in New Jersey to go to a new place. And I remember it was a, some apprehensions. It's a new place. You know when you're a job for such a long time. And I'm speaking, speaking for John, but it's his own words. And he went to a new place. And we all have apprehensions. And there he met someone that God was drawing to Christ. And he shared the gospel. And now she is not just saved, but serves this ministry faithfully. She travels in from Long Island all the time. I think of my wife's good friend, Susan, Jewish girl, grew up in a Jewish home, knows nothing about Christ at all. If anything, it's anathema to mention the name of Christ. And my wife shared Christ. And now she's been faithfully serving the Lord for over 20 years. Because she'd never known. There's other circumstances behind this that, but someone had to share Christ. Someone had to sow the seed. This is an important aspect of a life of faith. A life of faith is always on. Please, if I can do anything, if I can get into your heart and shake you up, please understand this. The life of faith is always exciting when you carry the message. And you believe God wants to use you. It's not just a Sunday thing. We need to be proactive. Jesus himself says to his disciples, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think over years we've got to be careful to lose that. And to forget that it's not supposed to be all these great things. God uses that message. And as I was writing this out, and I was thinking this out, and I was thinking about these stories, and I'll get into the text, and you'll see what I mean when I put the numbers together, is that we can easily fall asleep when it comes to sharing the gospel. Of losing that passion that Jesus saves. He really saves, and he raises the spiritual dead as easily as Peter raised Dorcas from the grave. It's not just an apostle thing. It's not just a, a, a pastoral thing. As we're going to see later on, it's a daily life for the believer. It's a dynamic in our life. 
one of the sub-themes. I don't want to miss that as we go through this. The gospel, I'll speak for myself. And if it touches your heart, you can own it too. The gospel of Jesus Christ has bring significance into my existence. Significance. Because prior to Christ, the only significance was me. That's it. Christ brings significance into who you are. You're cherished and you're precious. And he trusts you with the message of life. I could stop right there. That would be a good sign. Let's go to our text. I want to read verse 31. I want to point out something that you might miss. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Because of the change in the country, and I'm going to explain that for a second, from a seemingly growing hostility, when we get to chapter 8, and the beginning of chapter 9, all you see is this great persecution against the young church. This growing hostility. And all of a sudden, in verse 31, we get this peaceful sort of... Uh, uh, rural life going on and, and this ministry is going on everybody's walking in the fear of the Lord that means that nobody's scared to say I'm a Christian because there's no persecution going on they're living in the comfort of the Holy Spirit they're living in the joy of the Holy Spirit all this is taken around Peter is traveling about the country he's strengthening all the saints he's up in Galatia he's going over. He's up in the Galilee he's over in Samaria and now he's making his way over to the, to the, to the Mediterranean Sea and, and we see these, this, this, grace, this great peace was taking place. And it's, it's due to several circumstances. First of all, the great persecutor Paul has been converted. They can breathe a sigh of relief. But something else is going on here that the text doesn't teach us. But history does. This all took place in around 36, 37 uh, uh, AD and, and three significant things took place in a very short period of time in about a year's time Pontius Pilate was removed and he was replaced Caiaphas the high priest was also replaced and there was a new King Herod put in charge these are the three hostile forces that were replaced that took down Jesus and the early church all in a short period of time the Bible doesn't address it. History does. We understand that there's great peace that took place, that God gave reprieve to the church, not just by the saving conversion of Paul, but by doing a political thing that didn't make it into the text, but no less, it's part of this peace. And Peter is now traveling about openly, professing Christ, not that he wouldn't if it was still hostile, but that's what's taking place over here. And Peter is traveling around. All the hostile forces are taken away. When we get to chapter 12, they're all back again. Listen to what 1 Timothy says. 2, 1 and 2, and then I'll make a fast application. Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all the people, for kings and all those in high positions 
that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in any way. You see, when it comes to sharing the gospel, many factors are taken into account by God. We live in a time when we can share Christ. Please hear me. In a short period of time, you're not going to have that opportunity. I hope you see what's taking place in America. We're not going to have that. They're fighting to take that away. Tooth and nail, eye to eye, they are fighting to take the right of religious expression. Anything that offends certain people in America today, they do not want to hear anything about a moral, spiritual absolute. Please understand, if we don't start speaking now, how are we going to speak when we are threatened and intimidated? There's reprieve now. Let's take advantage of it. In the two short stories that follow, we see several themes emerge. Peter shows up, he strengthened the believers, theme one. Peter heals someone, theme two. The whole town believes in the Lord, theme three. And I will deal with other factors in our application. Verse 32. Peter makes his way towards the seacoast. As a matter of fact, let's read 32 to 35. Now, as Peter went here and there, I love that. I love the way the NSA says it. When the NSB says it, just Peter goes here and there. Just, just cavalier, just, just walking around, sharing the gospel. He's going here, he's going there. He's telling people about Christ. He's strengthening the churches. And he went here and there. He came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Please understand, so that's a command. That's not a hope. It's a command. Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't say, Jesus, would you heal him? Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. This is, this is healing. And immediately he rose. And all the residents saw him and they turned to the Lord. Peter makes his way from all the way to the seacoast. He's not following any pattern, but he's following the main roads, roads that many evangelists and other Christians have traveled long before Peter ever entered there. He's going to visit the saints. It's all in the day's work. And while he's there, he encounters a man named Aeneas. He's bedridden for eight years. That's all we know about him. We're not sure if he's a believer. Good chance he was. But we just don't know. And for eight years, this man was bedridden. He was paralyzed. Maybe a stroke. Maybe an accident. Scripture don't tell us. But he was a man. And he wasn't always this way. And the Bible says that Peter found him. The word found, when it's used, it's not like he stumbled upon this poor person and it just was arbitrary. It was no accident. It means he discovered something of quality. 
It's all in a day's work. He, dis- some, he discovered something good. It, he discovered it attained wealth. That's what the word means, attained wealth. See, Peter saw in this man something much greater than some kind of lame man. Peter saw many sick people. Peter saw many paralyzed. Peter, they were dragging the sick out to be touched by his shadow at one time in his ministry. But to say he found this man, Peter recognized something much more significant. A man for eight years, I try to think about when we see someone in such a condition and with all the medical attention we have, to think how this man must have suffered. And, and, and how Peter speaks to him with this divine authority, Jesus heals you. It's a command. Peter was touched. There was something there when he found this man, this, some, this prize of great worth. He saw something there and he spoke in a tone. Jesus heals you. Rise and make your bed. He did have any other opinion. This is pure apostolic authority. Through this timely healing, the Bible says, many believe in the Lord. I remember once on just a day's work, all in a day's work, I was in the gym. And at the end of 13 hours of standing on my feet, someone said, well, my brother is, is, has cancer, he's dying, and uh, he doesn't know Jesus, he wants nothing to do with Jesus, he hates God. And uh, Eddie Vernon said, I knew his sister, she was a friend of mine, would you go pray for him? I said, of course I will. Ominous Friday, pouring night, I remember going down into this house, dark house, he was sitting on the other side of the room, quiet man, Slunked over in a chair, sickly. I didn't feel like I had any power from God whatsoever. But I remember telling him, Eddie, I'm going to pray that God heals your body. But I can't promise you anything. But I can promise you this. That he will heal the sickness of your soul. And forgive you of all your sins. I said, I spoke with the divine authority. I said, he will do that. If you accept him and repent. I prayed for him and then we prayed for the prayer of acceptance. It was a Friday night, Saturday morning. He walked in this room here. Oh, it was in the other church. He came to a men's meeting. Sunday he came to church. Monday night he came here after chemotherapy. He never missed a service for over three years. Every Monday he had chemotherapy. Every Monday night, sick, he was sitting second row right there. You see, God didn't heal his body for three years. He fought cancer. But the soul was so healed. All in a day's work. I just went to the gym that day. Didn't want to do it. Someone got in touch with me. Brian would just go over and talk to my brother. Pray for my brother. All in a day's work. What's the greater healing? The physical healing? Yeah, sure. We all love to see that. I will see him one day. I will embrace him. I will love him. He'll love me. We'll talk about what God did here when I see that brother again. 
while he's there, Peter that is, word gets out of what's happening. Believers in Joppa who are mourning for their dear sister who died, send for Peter who's 10 miles away. Peter immediately comes on foot. Upon entering the house, he finds believers, maybe others, maybe some non-believers, mourning greatly for Dorcas, a saint who ministered to others through her sort of arts and crafts gift that she had. Her service was touched, her service touched the hearts of many, Dorcas that is. She receives as much honor as Stephen the preacher, as Stephen the miracle worker, and as Stephen the biblical theologian and martyr who died in chapter 8. This woman, this Dorcas, this who just made sweaters and little tunics for people, receives as much honor upon her death as Stephen. I love that. I love that. God shows no favoritism. One man sows, another man waters, another man reaps, but everybody gets the same reward. I don't want you to miss that. It's a short story, but Luke is telling it for a reason. It says that, and many believed in the Lord. Peter was not going down there that many would believe in the Lord. He was just going down there to strengthen the saints. But God does something extraordinary all in a day's work. The gospel is spreading further and further and further. That's all the two stories really tell us. A lot of application I'm going to get into that. Two short stories. Peter's preaching to her. What was taking place? Two healings. Many people come to the Lord. It says the whole town come. That doesn't mean everybody got saved. But a great portion of these two towns came out and got saved. When do you think they really heard about the gospel? From Peter? Or from the believers who lived there? The believers who lived there were telling these people year after year after year about Christ. A miracle breaks out. Peter preaches. The people have been hearing it all along. The seed's already been sown. Others have watered it. Now Peter comes and gives a harvest. But it makes no difference. It's not about us getting a harvest. We're there to plant the seed. If God sends someone else along, praise God. No one gets more praise. Did you know that? Jesus says it. One man will sow, another will water, but we all rejoice together. I'm challenging everyone in this room. Are you sharing the Lord? Are you? Can I look into each person's face and ask you, are you sharing the gospel? Are you, do you want to? Are you asking for opportunities? That man I spoke to Saturday morning in the rain at the golf course, we prayed for him Thursday night. I was like, God, we're going to pray for this man. Just started praying for him on Thursday night. The next thing you know, I'm speaking to him. I'll ask you this. This will tell where we are in evangelism or friendship evangelism. Do you want a criteria, a, a critique? This is how it goes. How do I know if I'm really sharing Christ? 
I'll let you something else. How do you pray for others? Because if you're not praying for others, I can tell you right now, you're not sharing Christ. And if you're not praying for souls, what's wrong? What's wrong with us? If I'm not praying for someone else's salvation, how am I not on my knees for someone I know that God's putting on my heart and saying, God, use me. I, I might be imperfect. Or use someone else, but do something. How are we not? Can someone stand up and say, Brian, I got a good, I got a good reason. I'm challenging you to leave here today that you're not the same. That you really are praying and talking to people about Christ in a very loving way. Just tell somebody, can I share my faith in Jesus? Pray, watch what God does. Are you worried about being rejected? Let me give you some forewarning. You will be rejected. You will, our children reject us. Our family rejects us. I want some people we don't. Don't let that stop you from praying. The answer is in prayer. That's where everything changes, in prayer. Prayer changes everything. It changes everything about us. There's nothing God won't do when we pray according to his will. So I ask us again, all of us, what is stopping us? Miracles. What happens if you knew every time you prayed for someone to be healed, would you do it? Then all of a sudden we'd be evangelists, wouldn't we? Should we expect miracles as easily as Peter just did them? Do we need a miracle for a whole town to believe? Is that the only way people are going to believe is through a Genuine miracle of stand up, Jesus heals you. There's a lot of people believe that. There's a lot of Christian denominations that believe that that should be an everyday experience. Me and John, Patty, Kim, Terry, we've heard it for almost 20 years or more. All these methodologies, the reason people aren't healed is either one or two reasons. The person praying doesn't have enough faith and doesn't believe it. Or the person who's sick and dying, they don't have enough faith. There's nothing wrong with their teaching. Their teaching is sound. Everybody needs to be healed. Jesus died for everyone to be healed. So that means the problem has to be with us. Please let me tell you, that is not true. God can heal anybody he wants at any time, whether I believe it or not. It has nothing to do with it. I want to talk about that as we go on. But before we go on to answer that question, we have to take a look at another feature. Long before Peter came, other saints were carrying the message already. They sowed, others surely watered, but God gave Peter the harvest. Peter was the Jewish apostle. He was not just anybody. He was God's statement. He was making a statement to the world that salvation is from the Jews. And he gave these Jewish apostles 
apostolic power and commission to go out, not every time they preached, but at certain times that great miracles would happen, signs and wonders would happen, not every time Peter preached did someone get healed, not every time Paul preached did people get healed, not every time the apostles preached signs and wonders happened, that's not the way it happened, there were specific strategic times that God used these apostles to raise the dead and heal the sick. Specific. Strategic from God's perspective. And it was meant as much for Peter as it was for that town. Peter had to realize, uh uh-oh, God is saving the Gentiles now. Read chapter 10 when you go home tonight. That's all it's about. Read chapter 10. We all need to be in the business of sharing Jesus with others. You never know how God is ultimately going to show up and bring salvation home to the heart. I think God's really speaking to people in this congregation today of why aren't we sharing our faith? Miracles. For eight years, Aeneas lived among believers, and guess what? He wasn't healed. He wasn't healed. He could have been a believer himself, but he wasn't healed. I want to encourage this don't get weighed down trying to believe hard enough for a miracle. I did that, I lived under that. I lived on that. There was a man on Monday night, good man, I loved him, died. I got the phone call. He was dead about eight or nine hours. So-and-so had died. Get over to the house. I ran over to the house. He was at the bottom of the staircase going down to the basement. Rigor mortis had set in. Cops were all over the house. They had him roped off, and the cop wouldn't let me down the stairs. I was like, but I, I have to pray for him. I thought if I could pray and lay hands on him, that maybe God would raise him from the dead. Please let me tell you something. That's too much of a burden for a human being to carry. I believe that. I believe I was called to do that. I don't know if he would have been raised. But I believe I was living under that like I was taught that. That God has to do that. God's going to do it. The cop looked at me like, what? He's been dead nine hours. He was purple. Rigor mortis set in. And I get, um, now it's 20 years later. I'm like, a duh? But God has moved me away from that and having a better understanding of what healing's all about. Yeah. To be taught healing for 20 years and see nothing, the light has to go off. I shared before how I believe I saw one genuine heal. I'm not going to go through it now. It was on a, the missionary fields in Gypsy, Bulgaria, and I generally believe I saw one. I'm not going to go into that, but I'll tell you what. I do not have the faith to pray on a dead person and raise them up. I don't have them. If you, if you want that from me, I don't have that. 
I don't have the faith that's genuinely going to raise a cancer patient up from the bed. I'll pray for them, and I'll ask God with sincerity. But I'm going to tell you now, I don't have that faith. But I'll tell you what I do have. I'll go into a hospice, and I'll go into that room, and I'll tell that person, Jesus Christ will save you if you trust in him. I have that. I don't think twice about it. I learned that lesson in the hospice one before. We went and everybody's like, the death was everywhere. Nobody wanted to smile. Nobody wanted to crack a joke. Everything was somber. Everything was real. Death was screaming at you from every room. And I remember going into that room and saying, no, I carried a message of life. It was in my heart. I remember telling that person, God will forgive you. What happened, I don't know. I don't have the faith for the healing, but I have the faith for the salvation. Pick and choose what you want. Because I can tell you right now, God gives that command. When I said, God will forgive you, that's authority. And he gives that to all of us. Dorcas. Go home and read chapter 8 about Stephen. And you think how both these people touch so many lives deeply. Stephen moved in signs and wonders. He was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He was a biblical theologian. He bring out insights from the Old Testament that pointed to Christ from such a young man. Overwhelm you when he preached. And when he got stoned to death and when he died, they made great lamentations and mournings over his dead body. He was a great man in the early church and you did not want to lose Stephen. He was an asset to the ministry. And he was taken from this world in the prime of his life and ministry. But Dorcas, who made little trinkets, touched just as many lives. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you hear the implication? God's not concerned with the great preacher and who can sing the best. God loves those who serve. Period. End of story. That's it. In America, it's got to be big. It's got to be flowing and flowery. Oh, sensational. It's got to be overwhelming. The noise, the sound, the symphony, the preaching, the music. Oh my God, it was great. And God's concerned with the person who opens the door every week and smiles. Who feeds somebody. Who does something for somebody. Who calls somebody. Who spends time. Who touches another believer's life. I challenge you again. And I hope it hurts. As a pastor and a father to many, I hope it hurts. Whose lives are we touching? 
whose lives are we touching? Dorcas. You don't know where she came from? You never hear from her again? But yet, they loved her so much though she was dead. Men ran 10 miles to get Peter for a dead woman. Because she touched lives so deeply and so sincerely. And just in the simplicity of our arts and crafts. From the simplicity of making things with love. Men ran 10 miles. 10 miles. And were able to get Peter to come back. Probably ran 10 miles. You see, if we were going to do something all of a sudden to say, well, I wonder who'll show up to my funeral. That's a morbid thought. <coughs> you can never do something to try to draw a crowd. In God's kingdom, you don't do anything to draw the crowd. You serve the crowd. Dorcas served the crowd because she served Christ. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? The disciples wanted to know. Fetch me a child. Whoever becomes like a child is the greatest in the kingdom. Father, challenge our hearts. Challenge our daily lives, God. Bring significance into our daily affairs. In a regular, ordinary day, Father God. Show up and do extraordinary things, Father God, to the people in our life. Use us, God. Teach us to serve humanity. Teach us to serve the people around us. Teach us to serve the local church. Teach us to care for others, Father God. Teach us to love, Lord. God, we need love. Love shares Christ. Love serves people. God, teach us to love. God, we're falling short of genuine love, Lord, in our hearts, in our midst, what this country needs the most, what our families needs the most, and the community needs the most, is love, Father. It never fails. God, I lay a charge before us as a church, Lord. For I know... There are no other any coincidences, God. And as a pastor, I can say, oh, I wish more people were here. But God, you're saying everybody I wanted is there, Brian. Tell them what I want them to know. Tell them to share Christ. Tell them to get that comfortable. Tell them to start opening up their mouths. I'll fill, it, I'll fill it with good things. Tell them how sweet the gospel tastes. Remind them how Jeremiah ate the scroll. How Ezekiel ate the scroll. Remind them how sweet the sound it is. Remind them of how sweet the sound of those feet that bad good news. Remind them. That people only get saved when they hear. However they hear. If no one is sent. Tell them Brian. Tell them I see every small seemingly incidental thing done in my name. Yes, even a glass of water that was done in my name. Even someone who visit a prisoner in my name. You've done unto me. Tell them, Brian. 
Tell them they're Christians. Tell them they're co-heirs. Tell them it's my privilege and joy to give them the keys of the kingdom. Tell them, Brian, remind them to stir up in the fan and the flame the deposit I've given them, Brian. Tell them again and remind them again. They're co-heirs and they can do all things through me who strengthens them. In Jesus' name.